Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Julio Gonzalez, and welcome to this, the first podcast of USMA Action and its sister organization, the United States Medical Association. I'd like to welcome all of you and thank you very much for listening. And I hope that you will join us in the combined journeys of these two organizations as they fight to protect the medical profession and really, by extension, our nation's patients. I suppose that this being the first podcast of this series, I, I, I guess the first thing that we need to do is to give you an introduction of just exactly who we are, why we're here, what it is that we're trying to accomplish, what pressures came about to bring rise to the, these organizations so that if this is something that resonates with you, particularly if you're a physician, you will consider joining us, consider contributing to us either through financial contributions or through blood, sweat, and tears so that we can build what we want to make, which is the new home of America's physicians. And it's actually the, the real home of America's physicians. So anyway, let's just start at the beginning, which is, you know, why do we even need a United States Medical Association? All of you physicians are intimately aware of the American Medical Association, so why do we need another one? Why do we need another organization? For those of you who are not doctors, <clears throat> yeah, there is something called the United the American Medical Association. And it has traditionally been the place where physicians have gone to obtain medical education credits to take to get uh, support for building their practices and maybe more importantly it's been a place where physicians have gathered to develop a plan for the future of their profession to develop an attack on legislation and support of congressional members so that we can help to make the profession more effective at taking care of patients to make sure that we keep patients at the center of, of our efforts. And, um, I have to say, I think the, the doctors in this audience who are listening to this podcast today, I think most of them would agree that we really have lost that representation and we've really lost the moral direction of our profession. I think if any of us, if any of us, you know, the vast majority of us, if you ask us, physicians, whether the American Medical Association still represents physician values or physicians in general, the answer will be no. We have one of our board members, his name is Rod Thompson. <clears throat> He's the only board member who is not a doctor, and he had the opportunity to engage physicians at a recent Florida Medical Association meeting, and he spent three days there, and I'll never forget what he told me when he, when he left. He said, I I had no idea that there was so much acrimony from physicians towards the American Medical Association. And I, you know, I think that most, most uh, Americans don't know that either. The lay public doesn't know that. In point of fact, in the 1950s or so, the American Medical Association truly boasted about 76% of its members, of its doctors, of the nation's doctors, as its members, truly paying members who would pay dues once a year and would go to the meetings. Oftentimes, you know, not all the doctors would go to their meetings, but they would all support 
the activities that were taking place. When people got out of medical school, the thing to do was to be part of the AMA because there were journals that were given to you as part of the membership. There were um, insurance products at great discounts. There was assistance in building your practices. And most importantly, there was a collection of voices that came from doctors from all over the country in support of values, of the things that we valued as doctors. And by the way, in general, now we can debate the details of, um, we can debate the details of, of the specific wording of the Hippocratic Oath, but essentially those virtues and those values were contained in the Hippocratic Oath. And we'll get into, the, into that a little bit later in the podcast, but just for now, just know that physicians were pretty much well aligned with the virtues and the values esteemed or contained in the, in the Hippocratic Oath, and we were all pretty much aligned in trying to move it forward. We thought the most important thing in medicine was, was the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship. That was the, the single most important thing that we needed to protect as doctors was that relationship. Without the, that relationship, we recognized that we were nothing. Well, over the past five, six, seven decades, those things have eroded. We now have an American Medical Association that essentially calls its doctors racists as they continue in their zeal to promote critical race theory which is inapplicable or flawed, fatally flawed as a theory for society, but it's particularly flawed as it applies to medicine. They also have a rejection of those elemental features that make human beings human. Those things that, that provide us with the divinity of, of human life, those things are being rejected. Things like the sanctity of human life. Things like the fact that we are given a body that is defined by God and that we are here to help maintain the health of that body, but we're not here to destroy it or mutilate it. The bastardization of medical principles have gotten to the point of outright decay and corruption. And it has also translated to the loss of political standing. Now, I guess... How another question, related question, is how have we gotten here? How did the abandonment take place? Because just merely because of the abandonment, just merely because the AMA has corrupted itself as an organization, doesn't necessarily mean that there should be a schism, that there should be another organization to replace it. The answer in general is. If we believe that things are going awry in an organization, then you try to fix them. You try to go in from within and you try to convince various members to get to become active and to take up a new charge and fix the problems. But what has happened is over the past number of decades, especially over the past three years, yeah, I dare say ever since COVID, Things have deteriorated to the point where fixing things from the interior is no longer possible. It is absolutely obvious that trying to go within the, the auspices of the American Medical Association 
and trying to get it to change directions is no longer an option. I'll give you some examples. The corrosion actually started in the 1960s, when in the early 1960s, when the federal government decided that it would be a good idea to create a federal insurance program that would cover all workers. All workers, actually, this predates the 1960s. That was the first incarnation of Medicare, was every worker and his or her family should be covered by the government. They shouldn't have to pay anything. Of course, it was an overtly socialistic theory and an overtly socialistic concept, and it failed. Why did it fail? In no small degree, it failed because of the efforts of the American Medical Association that smelled communism in this agenda. Later on in the 1960s, the idea came back, and knowing that it wasn't going to take root in the general public as long as such a large swath of the, of the population was going to be covered, the government and liberal policymakers came up with the idea, well, okay, we won't do it for, for all workers, but seniors. Seniors are particularly vulnerable. Many of them are retired. They don't have the resources with which to pay um, their medical expenses. So the federal government should be in, involved in guaranteeing some sort of coverage for, uh, for our nation's seniors. That passed. That passed. And it, it, in fact, it passed in the 1960s and it began and thus began the association between the United States government, the federal government, and the American Medical Association. Because the United States government realized that they needed a partner. They didn't have the information and the knowledge that they needed to run an insurance company. For example, questions that they had included things like, well, how are we going to communicate a procedure that was done by a doctor with the insurance company? How are we going to how are we going to have that doctor tell them, I did an appendectomy or I did an initial evaluation? From that came the CPT code. The, the contract to create the CPT code was given to the American Medical Association. Sounds innocuous. But what ended up happening was that this contract that was given to the American Medical Association essentially allowed for the incestuous relationship between the federal government and the, um, and the representative organization for physicians to take hold. And like any germinal uh, organization or being, it started small and it got bigger and bigger. The, the dependence of the government uh, for the, with the AMA or on, upon the AMA for insurance products, insurance communication products, identification products of, of, of uh, procedures and interactions. Uh, the the um, relationship between the federal government and the AMA with products dealing with continued medical education, with determining what the education standards were going to be for doctors in medical schools and residency programs, all those grew, and every time that happened, it was another paycheck for the American Medical Association. It got to the point where the American Medical Association was more dependent on government than it was on, its, on dues from its own members. And therein lies the rub. What ended up happening is that it became more important for the AMA to protect its relationship with insurance companies as they provided them 
products, uh, uh, practice products and, and uh, co- uh, physician coordination products with the federal government as it provided it with direction and instructions and guidance on how to run a healthcare system. Those priorities became more important than the priorities of their members. Case in point, abortion. Abortion is a perfect example. Um, in 1969, there was a vote before 1960. Let's take it one more step back. Before 1969, physicians were almost universally in agreement that there was absolutely no way that an abortion that abortion should be used as a valid contraceptive method. In 1969, there was a vote amongst the um, amongst the delegates, the House of Delegates. And that vote asked the delegates whether whether they approved, and these are all doctors, of course, were they approved of abortion being considered a valid contraceptive method. The, the vote was overwhelmingly in the negative. The, 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 uh, the resolution did not pass, and thus it was seemingly put to sleep. The American Medical Association was ordered by the delegates, by the House of Delegates, not to take a position on something that the House of Delegates described, and I'm quoting here, as extreme. Just six months later, however, the AMA reversed its position despite the constancy of the anti-abortion opinion of its members. Imagine an overwhelming opinion by doctors in 1969 against abortion. Changing suddenly magically in less than a year into one of approval that did not take place by a vote of the uh, of the house of delegates that took place by the work of the board and the work of the staff and why did they take that sta- that that position well because politicians wanted it politicians the mood of the of the country was changing and the country was somehow uh, accepting abortion as a valid contraceptive method, at least a large enough portion of the population was doing so, so that it was gaining traction in the political circles and in the circles of agent of agencies and, and regulatory circles. And the next thing you know, the AMA yielded to the pressure from politics. Why? Very simple. Because they have a fiduciary relationship with government that outweighs its relationship to its members. In other words, in plain English, the AMA honored its, its uh, allegiance to the, to the government that it was becoming increasingly dependent to or dependent with or upon at the expense of its allegiance to its members. And so next thing you know, the position of the AMA and the position of doctors essentially changed and not by vote but by fiat. It was the first time where the language in the Hippocratic Oath, and I'm going to tell you, it's pretty much a quote in the Hippocratic Oath, which says, I will not give a poison to anyone, even if I am asked, nor will I advise such a plan. And similarly, I will not give a woman a destructive pessary to cause an abortion. Destructive pessary was a pessary that was caustic. It was placed in the vaginal vault. It was um, uh, um, 
place there to induce inflammation in the uterus and cause an abortion to take place. That was 2,500 years ago. That was the technology. And the Hippocratic Oath addressed it. This abortion concept was outside of the boundaries of what it meant to be a doctor. Even back then, even the even before Christianity, by reason, Greeks had arrived at the conclusion that there was something special about human life that needed to be protected and not destroyed, no matter what stage of life that individual was in, even unborn. In 2009, we had another situation, and that was the Obamacare situation. I don't know how many of you remember. I know a lot of doctors do. May, some members of the public remember this band of shiny white coat, perfectly pressed white coated physicians standing behind President Obama. And I think it was in the Rose Garden at the White House announcing the fact that the AMA was finally in support of Obamacare. And the headlines the next day was doctors support Obamacare. That was not true. The only reason why the headlines could say anything of the sort was because the AMA supported the, the Obamacare. Not the doctors. Doctors all over the country were mixed. They were split on the issue. Depending on which poll you took, took and how you took it, you would get the majority of doctors to be in favor of Obamacare. And just on another poll, you would get another poll saying that majority of doctors were vehemently against it. Yet, yet the AMA again folded, folded under the pressure of government. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. There was something called the SGR back then, that back then it was called the sustainable, sustainable growth rate. It was a formula, it was a flawed formula that determined how much physicians were getting paid. Every year, the physicians were getting paid just a little bit more to participate in Medicare to make up for the costs of life of inflation, but the cost, the real inflation was outpacing the SGR and the cost of medical inflation, the pace at which the price of delivering the care to patients was increasing even more. With every year that passed, it became more difficult for Congress to fund doctors' salaries, doctors' reimbursements for care. When Obama came, came around, when the Obamacare proposal came around, Obama needed to keep President Obama needed to keep the price, the price tag for whatever psychological reason he he and his uh, colleagues determined needed to keep the price tag under a trillion dollars. But with a permanent correction of the SGR, which doctors through the AMA were begging for, that price would be up to 1.1 trillion. Some estimates said 1.2. The AMA got to work, tried to try to uh, include it in the package, but it became obvious that it was not going to work for the president. So the president took a handshake, offered a handshake, a handshake deal to the American Medical Association when it said, look, we will permanently fix the SGR and provide this incredible relief for doctors, which has been a source of incredible friction for physicians if you just sign on to this, and I promise you, I will take care of it later. So they did. They shook hands. They got nothing on the deal. 
nothing except a promise, no specifics. They showed up at the White House lawn with their white lab coats. The press was then able to say doctor support. And what was the opposing side? Where was there an opposing side? There was no opposing side. Whatever the AMA said is what was accepted carte blanche as the voice of the doctors. So the headline read, doctors support Obamacare, which is not true. Still to this day, is not true. So what happened with this promise? Well, yeah, President Obama's crew got to work on, on a correction for the SGR. And what they came up with was a very convoluted program that would correct the SGR, but only if doctors participated in electronic medical records and uh, became um, were able to comply with something called meaningful use, that your, your, um, your use of the computers and your electronic medical records needed to be meaningful as determined by somebody else, the government. And then eventually that, turned, that morphed into something called MIPS, which became even more, it's like meaningful use on steroids. You had to check the boxes on all sorts of things that may have nothing to do with you. Vaccination status, weights of the patients, the fact that you talked about to patients uh, about, about smoking cessation, gun control. Never mind that you're an orthopedic surgeon and that's not what you do. It's still required for you to do these checks so that you can keep the full reimbursement of your participation with Medicare. So doctors, essentially, because the AMA folded again and provided the physicians a bum deal on, um, on electronic medical records and this correction of the SGR, which, by the way, has already, the correction has already failed because this year doctors are up for about a 10% cut in Medicare if it is not corrected by, for Congress by Congress. So essentially, we're back to where we were before. However, it's now infinitely worse because productivity came down because now all of a sudden you had to do this computer work. You were seeing maybe about 40% to 10% of the patients in the same amount of time that it took you without the computers. You had to take the the uh, cost of buying all this software estimated at 27, dollars $27,000 per doctor. And by the way, in my case, as an orthopedic surgeon, I had to upgrade my uh, x-ray machine from a standard analog machine, you know, where you would put it on film and hang it up and look at it on those whiteboards to one that now had to be electronic and digital because if you did the x-rays, on an analog processor, you would lose the reimbursement for that x-ray. You wouldn't get paid. The only way that you would get paid for the x-ray is if you did it digitally. And it took, in my personal uh, experience, it cost me $90,000 that I had to borrow. And that's the same thing that happened to doctors all over the country because of the brilliant representation that we had by the AMA. Still not sufficient to warrant a schism? I don't know. I think we're already there. But it got worse. It got worse. Because after MIPS and after the failure of the SGR negotiations, now we're now at a point where the AMA has completely adopted the woke agenda, saying that racism is an inherent part of, not that there's this, 
Not that there's disparities between groups in access to healthcare, which I think we all openly acknowledge that those exist. And not that perhaps the care that received by patients in different neighborhoods and different uh, socioeconomic groups and even uh, different racial groups uh, are different and we need to solve that. No, that's not what they're saying. They're saying that the reason why these disparities exist is because the doctors and the system in which they work is inherently racist. Tell me, when did the delegates ever vote for this? When did the delegates ever vote for this? Well, the answer is they didn't. They voted for, in um, I think it was 2019, they voted for a resolution to have the AMA address racial disparities. But it's woke, incredibly liberal staff that lives within the Beltway of Washington, D.C. Their answer was, well, we're just going to adopt CRT. Not, we're going to work to improve those disparities. No. It's, we're going to let the doctors know that the reason why this exists is because they're racist and their nurses are racist and their hospitals are racist. I, for one, do not buy that. And by the way, even more insultingly, even more offensively is the correction. I recently did, wrote an article that got uh, published at the Federalist. I welcome you to go look it up. In that article, I put the link of an American Medical Association CME lecture, Continuing Medical Education Lecture, with the AMA stamp on it, where they say that the correction for all the past sins of racism that have taken place in this country is for you as a doctor to get a black individual and grant him or her access to the ICU, to the cardiac unit, In the meantime, an equally sick white person gets placed on hold in the emergency room bay or some other floor until, until when? Until you feel that you have corrected for past sins. What in the world does that have to do with medicine and and how in the world is that approach going to cause the betterment of human society? Additionally, the AMA is now saying that we should be removing all sex designations from any demographic document handed in the United States, including birth certificates. So this thing that you would have in your birth certificate, Anne Marie Smith, female, date of birth, I don't know, May 30, 2000. 23, that would no longer have a designation of a sex. Why? Because sex is completely, no, because gender is specific, is is completely fluid, according to the AMA. The one organization that's supposed to uphold the fact that there's biological influences based on our chromosomes present at the moment of conception, at the moment of conception, is supposed to be present there that that defines our characteristics, our human characteristics that are with us from nature, not necessarily from nurture, but from nature. Things such as the color of our skin, strong influences on our height, the color of our hair, the color of our eyes, and whether 
Our genitals are uh, innies or outies, whether we come out as male or female. Those things are going to be ignored or to be ignored by government officials on behalf, at the behest of the AMA. Now, my friends, we are at schism. Now, my friends, there is no hope. The CRT proposal that was placed forth by the staff where they reinterpreted the resolution brought forth to the AMA uh, by the House of Delegates was brought to a vote at the next uh, meeting. It was in 2021. It was brought uh, to a vote by those who were saying, look, we never voted for that. That's not what we voted for. We did not vote for a racist promoting agenda. So substitution of old racism for new racism. That, that resolution got defeated by a 72% vote. There's no more room for schism. If we want to be, uh, there's no more room for, for, uh, for enacting change from the inside. The only answer in the, these circumstances is schism. If we are to provide an alternative voice, probably the true voice for physicians, if we're supposed to take away the, the claim that the doctors support X, Y, or Z, that happens to always be just some wacko liberal manifestation or idea, if we're to take that away from, from the left and from every liberal politician that wants to enact socialized medicine, who wants to destroy what it means to be a human being and to allow for the destruction of human life, then we do nothing. But if we want to take that away from the AMA and from those politicians, then we need to build an alternative organization. And that's what the USMA is doing. And that's what its USMA action sister organization will aim to do. Look, I'll leave you with this one thought. There's a lot more to talk about. There's a lot more episodes coming forward. There's a lot of work to be done. And things are very pressing. Very pressing indeed. But here's the thought that I will leave you with. I remember when the white paper on critical race theory came back came out by the AMA, I was appalled. It was 2021, May, I think it was. And I started calling members of Congress. I, I don't know how many of you all know anything about me, but I had the privilege of serving as a state representative here in the state of Florida for four years. And in so doing, some of the people with whom I served are now in Congress. And independently of that, I got to meet a, a number of members of Congress. And I called one of them and I said to him, hey, you know, have you seen this? He said, yeah, I heard about it. This, this member of Congress happened to be a doctor. And he said, yeah, I heard about it. I, I, um, I've been told about this by my colleagues. I said, this is unconscionable. This is unconscionable. How can we possibly say that medicine in the United States is an inherently racist venture? He says, yeah, I, 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 I'm speechless. I don't know what to say either. But look, I haven't been a member of the AMA forever. In forever. And, you know, a lot of other doctors told me that too. <clears throat> but that's not the answer. Not being a member of the AMA is clearly not the answer. 
Anyway, so he says to me, I said to him, well, listen, listen, we got to do something because this is absolutely, you know, just preposterous. And he said to me, he said, listen, Julio, don't worry. I've been in Congress now for a number of years. I'm not going to tell you how many at that time because I don't want to narrow it down any further than I already have by telling you that this person is a male and that he's a doctor in Congress. And he said to me, listen, I've been in Congress in however many years I've been in Congress and not one time has anybody asked me what's the AMA's position on this? Not one time. Now, this is supposed to make me feel better. This is supposed to make me feel like, okay, well, it doesn't matter what crazy nastiness they come out with. They are such a fringe organization. They're so crazy. They're so nuts that that their position is immaterial. And of course, that didn't make, it had the opposite effect. Had the opposite effect because I suddenly realized that we have no voice in Congress. We have no unifying voice in Congress, which is what my response was. He says, well, no, you still have a voice. I mean, there's a lot of medical organizations, state medical organizations that do a good job. Florida is one of them. Texas is one of them. Uh, Amazingly, California has been one of them. Uh, But, but... And, and then, of course, like, for example, the orthopedic surgeons on a national level have a great organization. The anesthesiologists are doing a great job. Yeah, but I said to the congressman, but, but there's no unifying voice. There's no voice that takes all the doctors together and say, hey, we represent all the doctors and we have decided X. And by golly, Congress, if you want healthcare to function, we believe you should go in this direction. And he goes, you're right, there isn't. So now we're only not only stuck with a runaway organization that has become a fringe organization that has lost touch with reality and its members for whatever reasons there may have been, but it's now we also have an organization that is absolutely not respected, not heard. So what are you going to do? Doctor, what are you going to do? Are you going to let it all go away, slip away, not defend your profession, the most, that's, in my opinion, the second most noble profession possible? Second only to service of God? Are you going to let it all slip away? Are you going to abandon the fight for the protection of the Hippocratic Oath or variations thereof? Or are you going to fight? I hear a lot of times people tell me, well, listen, it's all lost. It doesn't matter anyway. Well, yeah, it's lost because we haven't had appropriate representation in 70 years. And now it's becoming more obvious. Now it's so obvious that we are able to see it for real, to palpate it, to taste it. So, yeah, the question is, are you want to go continue down the same road and continue with the insanity? Or do you want to take the bull by the horns and start to chip away at this monopoly that exists. I, for one, am with a second option. I had another colleague tell me one more one time that asked me, actually, how long do you think this is going to take? I said, 15 years, maybe 20. And he said, yeah, I know, that's, what, that's how long it's going to take. What, are you crazy? I said, no, I'm not crazy. I just know it's going to take 10, 15, 20 years to do this. And I told him, if we had been, we have been talking about this over the past 10 or 15 years, as we saw these things coming down the pike, if we had started 10 or 15 years ago, 
the face of medicine right now would be a lot different. So with that, I implore you, friends who are not doctors, please visit the usmedicalassociation.org. Please sign up for our email list or go to usmaaction.org. Sign up for that email list. Contribute to usmaaction.org. It's a C4, 501C4, so tax, so uh, contributions are not tax deductible for USMA action. And doctors, join the USMA. The only way we're going to do this is if we all join and create a sizable organization with numbers bigger than the now defunct and decrepit AMA. Until the next time, I wish you all great health. And I hope you'll join us for the next episode of our USMA Action podcast. Have a great day.